this morning. We're going to continue our uh, what we've been doing. Uh, again, I know it's Easter Sunday, and uh, I appreciate that. And I know that it's uh, a, a very uh, celebratorial time. The calendar says that Easter is tomorrow in Canada. It's Easter Monday in Canada. <laughs> it's interesting when you look at calendars and so forth. But uh, as we uh, think about uh, Easter and as we've been thinking about what we've been studying over, o- over the time of the, of the grace reset, of resetting our thinking, um, we're just going to kind of continue in that with the idea of Easter being kind of in the background. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul exhorts us there in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord, and as we look this morning at your will and the will of God that you have for us in our life, in our day-to-day, and in our thinking. And as we do that, we just do it with with our minds and our hearts open to your word and what it has to say. In your name we pray. Amen. It's interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 2, here verse 4, what is the will of God? Everybody wants to know what the will of God is. What's the will of God? What's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for this? What's the will of God? And all of a sudden you get this will, 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 will thing going. And you get, well, what is the will of God? Verse 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will. Here's his will. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now watch Paul. Watch what he does. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Isn't that interesting? Paul says he, his will is he would have all men be saved. And then immediately he gives you a guarded statement about what gospel to be believing. What's the gospel? It's the gospel given to Paul. He's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The fact that Paul says, listen, you're a sinner, you need a Savior. Romans 1 to 5. You're a sinner, you need a Savior. And you know what he did? He died for you. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's a done deal. That is an evidential, satisfied in the court of law, done, boom. The witnesses and everything, the evidence lays out, it's done. And all you have to do, Romans 4... Verse 5 is just believe him. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't even have to go to church. You don't even have to shake the preacher's hand. You don't have to jump in a baptismal. You don't have to do anything. You just believe it in the heart, in your heart. With the heart, man believes under righteousness. What are you going to believe? I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Why? That's what the Word of God says. If you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I know this isn't on your handout or on the overhead, but 1 Corinthians 1 if you look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Isn't that interesting? The, the foolishness of the world. What do they look? They look at Calvary as, you guys are a bunch of fools to believe in a dead Jew that hung on a tree. What foolishness. But to us who believe, what is it? It's the power. Now look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It, what? Pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
the everybody wants to get onto the sovereignty of God, the sovereign free will of God. You know what the sovereign free will of God is? That all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 21 kills that idea of the Calvinistic thought there that God's got a preordained roadmap and all this stuff, and we're going to talk about it, okay? And what does he say? What pleased God? Verse 21. You can talk to me. It's okay. By the foolishness of preaching. Preaching what? Verse 18. Preaching of the cross to save them that believe. So when you come back to 1 Timothy 2, the will of God here, first of all, the will of God is all men would be saved. So when you trusted Christ, that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and in him and him alone is where I'm able to get my completeness, my justification. All of the penalty of sin and death is dealt and finalized and taken care of. In him alone. Then he says, and then come to the knowledge of the truth. So now i got some more information for you that I want you to come into. By the way, we stopped reading there in 1 Timothy 2 about verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. The reason that Paul says this in verse 6, 5, 6, 7, and so forth, is because is there another gospel in the Scriptures? Yes, there is. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in that gospel, he didn't die for all. He died for the many. He died for the believing remnant, the little flock. He died for Israel. Romans 9 says that he came in the flesh for his people. John 1 says he came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him. That's Israel. That isn't you and I. Paul says that same event, he only died once. He only had Calvary once. The cutting on the Lord Jesus Christ only happens one time. Okay, so it doesn't happen, the Roman Catholic Mass issue every Sunday, that, that, no. Once he died for all, one time, it's done. By the way, you know that. You remember, remember Moses? They come out across the Red Sea. They got nothing to drink. Moses, the Lord tells Moses, you go up to that rock and you hit it, and water will come out. Jehovah, the rock, hit the rock, water comes out. A little later... They get in another little predicament, and he tells Moses, go and speak to the rock. And what did Moses do? He hit it. No, he only hit the rock one time. The rock, Christ. He only died once, folks. And that one time deal took care of all of it. And he says, "Who gave?" verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So then Paul establishes his apostleship real quickly. But why? Because the knowledge of the truth is going to come from who? The apostle Paul. He does, not the 12 apostles. Matthew 10 kills them to be your apostles. Who, who are we going to? Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go into Samaritans. You're going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Peter would have never said a word to you. You know how you know that? Acts chapter 10, when he's supposed to go to Cornelius, he's in a vision, and he's arguing with God in a vision about going to the Gentiles. And God says, don't call unclean what I now call clean. He would have never talked to you. Paul says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. So what do we got here? The, the, the will of God is what? All men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You good? You got that? You see that? Let's pray and let's go eat Easter lunch. 
Woohoo, yeah, right. Because, well, we're going to focus in on the second half of that, okay? Because the will of God, folks, is simply finding out what God's doing and go do that. That's the will of God. What was the will of God in Israel in the Old Testament? The establishment of a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom with his people, Israel, being in charge, with the 12 sitting on the 12 thrones, with David as the king in place. That was his will. That's what he was doing. But what is he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, to be seated in the heavenly places. How's he doing that? He would have how many men? All of it's. There's no difference. All have sinned. There's no, there's no Gentile, there's no Jew, there's no male, there's no female. You're all sinners. Guilty. And I died for them. And now I've got a plan for you I want you to come to understand. So when we talk about God's will, religion will often say, you have to read the signpost of life. Really? They will say, your circumstances, come over with me to... Colossians 4. They'll make a statement along something that God's going to tell you what His will is through the circumstances of your life, and that's going to lead to an inner impression so you know. How many of your inner impressions have always been right? None of mine ever have. I had an inner impression that I ought to buy a pontoon boat. Seriously, Jerry and I, we've been talking. And you know what happened? The Speaker of the House said, no. You know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? The Finance Department said, no, bad credit. No. See? That was an inner impression as I perused through Craigslist and got to looking at it. I'm going, ooh, that'd be kind of cool to have something like that, a little trip here and there. And, you know, why? So your inner impression, that's what, that's you. That's how, I'm just feeling this way today. The circumstances of life. I read one one time, draw a, cir- draw a circle, put a dot in the middle, and get as close to the dot that you can. I heard a guy one time say, you take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name on the bottom, and God will fill in the rest. You know what happened after two months? My paper was still blank. Well, you're out of the will of God. No, he's just not operating that way, is he? You see, a we need to have a clear understanding of the knowledge of the truth. What is God's what is God doing today? Let's go do that. Let's find that out. Let's go do that. That's what his will is. We need a clearer understanding of this issue in the resetting of our thinking. Because once you do, you know what you begin to find out? You have some freedom. You have some liberty in making decisions in life. Look at Colossians 4. Look at verse 12. It's, it's wonderful to know that the great, the, the exceeding riches of the grace of God has set you free from the bondage, the yoke of bondage of religion. And you can go and make, grace holds you more accountable than the law ever did. Because grace says, I've done it all for you. Look at, you're in chapter 4, look in chapter 2. Look at verse 10. And ye are, what? Complete where? 
if you're complete, that means there's not a piece missing, is there? That means you've got it all given to you. You're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's the Godhead bodily, verse 9. And he, you're complete in Christ. You've, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You've got a, you lack nothing. There is nothing you can do to gain the more. And you know what that does to religion? It just sticks a needle in a balloon, pops their balloon. Because what are they going to do? Well, read the signpost of your life so you know what God's trying to tell you. Where does God talk to you? In his word. Look at Colossians 4. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete, notice, in all the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? You know what Epaphras says? You can know the will of God. And you can stand perfect, mature, grow it up, grown up in it, and complete in it. Come over to Ephesians 1. That's wonderful to know that I don't have to put on a blindfold, take a pen, and try to stick the donkey's tail on something to be in the will of God. It's what? It's knowable. It's, no, it's been made known. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 8. Now, by the way, verse 3, it's, these are, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. The Father is the one doing this. And then he says, here's the blessings I'm giving you. Here's the blessings I'm giving you through my Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the blessings I'm giving to you through the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, wherein he, that's the Father, hath abounded toward us in some of the wisdom and some of the prudence. How much of it? All of it. Paul tells the over there in Acts, he says, I kept nothing back from you. There's, I, I didn't keep anything. I gave it all to you, man. Hey, he's abounded toward, towards us in all wisdom and prudence. How? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in him. You see, his will's made known, folks. It's just not made known the way religion tells us. Look at the signpost. Have you ever read a signpost wrong? I have. One way, go the wrong way. Oh, okay. You see, I love the one. I was reading a guy one time, this was years ago, and he said the hardest signpost to understand is the yield signpost. Yield. Just yield. And I'm like, yield? That's the easiest one. Nobody's coming. Go faster. Yield. Why? Because you're supposed to yield to the inner impressions of the moment. Well, I just got to get home quicker. I'm hungry. You know, let's go. No. It's been made known unto us. It's been, it's, it's there. Now, watch what it is in verse 10. That... You would live healthy and wealthy and wise and have all things. Not at all. Isn't that interesting? Because what do we do? We talk about the will of God as what am I getting? Where's my, what am I going to do? Am I in the will? No, the will of the Father, the will of God is what? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven which are on earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh 
all things after the counsel of his own will. What is the will of, what is God doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, chapter 2, verse number 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What's he doing today? He's taking a Jew and a Gentile. He's taking sinners, and he says, you trusted my son, therefore I'm making this out of you. A new creature, a new man, something brand spanking new nobody's ever seen, and I'm going to put my life in you so that when you go live your life where you live, how you live life, you live for me, and you manifest my glory in that scenario. He doesn't reach down and change the culture. He purifies the culture. He purifies you because it's his life living in you because what's he going to do? He's going to give you an inheritance. He's got plans for you. Come over to chapter 5. You see, folks, when we think about the will of God, we got to think about it not like religions taught us or the seminary, the cemeteries as I sometimes slip to say. The, the, not that stuff. you got to learn, this is, what does God's Word say about this rightly divided? Now, again, by the, again, you get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're in the wrong territory because there's stuff in there that you're going to try to do that it ain't going to work, and you're going to beat yourself up against that block wall till you're bloody trying to get it to work, and it won't work. Why? Because it's not to you. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 15. Seeing then that ye walk circumspectly. You know how that is. We went hiking. My birthday was Thursday. No. Yeah, the 6th. When was that? Thursday. Thank you. I'm, old. I'm an old man already. Look at that. Friday, I get, a, I get a text. Say, hey, let's go hike Camelback. Spare the moment. So up we go. And we're going up there, and there's lizards everywhere. <laughs> Now, we're thinking Gila Monster, but it wasn't. It was a Chuckwalla or something like that. Anyway, beautiful animals. And, we watched, and we're like, oh, my goodness. And you know what we started doing? Walking circumspectly. Why? Because on parts of Camelback, you've got to climb the mountain. You're a mountain climber now. And you know what we were doing? Making sure there ain't nothing there because them things look vicious. You know, it's like, you know. What do you do? You're going to not as fools, but as what? As wise, carefully. I get home that e afternoon, that evening, we're watching the news, and they're talking about snakes are coming out. Watch the snakes. And I'm like, yeah, watch the snakes. Nothing. Watch the goofy lizard, man. <laughs> you know, what's happening? You're gonna, how are you going to walk? You're going to be careful. You're going to be careful where you, where you put your feet. Why? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You ought to think about redeeming the time. Redeeming, buy it back from the one that possesses it. Who possesses it now? The adversary does. The satanic policy of evil does. He's the God of this world. And we're buying back time from him. Wherefore be ye, how do we do that? Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Our walk, our life. We're to live it in a biblically intelligized manner. We've been given the information that we need to live as who we are in Christ. That's why verse 18, he starts, 
Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now, by the way, that is not talking about having too much to drink on a Friday night. You ought not do that because it's stupid to do that. There are DUI laws and all that good stuff that ought to prevent you from doing that. The wine here is talking about the wine of the adversary and the satanic policy of evil. And it drifts all the way back into Genesis 3. And we've studied that out. But he says, don't walk according to the, the, the system, but be filled with the Spirit. And he talks to you about walking circumspectly as fools, not as fools, but as wise, in what? In a Spirit-filled life. So then he starts and talks to you as the individual and your volition of making a decision to walk this way and to have the harmony that needs to be in your life, verse 19, having a thankful attitude towards God in verse 20, having a submissive heart towards others in verse 21. And then he moves into life. He goes into the wife. And then he goes into the role of the wife and the role of the husband, down to chapter 6, the role of the family. And he deals with that. And he lays in, here's what a spirit-filled home looks like. And then in verse 6, talking about that employment employer out there in the world, he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the what? Will of God from the heart. See, you go and be a good employee. And what are you doing when you go do be an employee? You're doing the will of God. Notice he doesn't say, hey, I have this job, don't have that one. Paul's going to tell him, hey, look, you need to work to provide for your own. If you don't, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. But when you do it, you do it with the proper attitude. What an attitude to have as, a, as doing it as not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as doing it from the heart, as serving the word, of, serving Christ and serving God. What an attitude to have on the job when you go in and they say, hey, I need you to do this, and you just don't feel like doing it, but you do it anyway. Why? Because it's your job, and that's who you are in Christ. See, that's a completely different, that's a liberating thought process. Look over 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Growing up in, my, in our family, when it was, I started working at about 12, cleaning the church. But as you, we begin to work and we begin to learn how to do that, you know what? You were always 10 minutes early and you always left 10 minutes late. You never were, you know, just, you, and when you did, you worked. You worked. They call it the Puritan work ethic or the, all of that stuff. No, it's biblical work. You work. Why? Because I'm getting a paycheck and I work. And I'm not doing it to climb the corporate ladder. If that happens, that happens. I'm doing it because the book says, if I want to eat, I got to what? I got to work. And if I'm going to have a wife and a kids and family, then guess what I got to do? I got to work to provide for my own. And if I don't do that, I'm worse than an infidel. I've denied the faith. I'm a slackered. I'm not to be that. I'm to be this. 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at this, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Okay, all you guys are, I need the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication, 
that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testify, for God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Oh my goodness! Work that out in your life. I was lusting after the pontoon boat and the Corvette. I had the motorcycle and I got an accident. I don't have that anymore. Well, you work that bad boy out. Well, you, you work it off. <laughs> Go through your fit and get out of it. My point is, is what a way to live life. To look at life and say, you know what? That's not well-pleasing. Let's take that away. That's not well-pleasing. Let's remove that. Let's do... And he begins to work it. Now, by the way... If you look at verse 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you, that you walk honestly. Isn't that interesting? And, and on you go. He takes, a, he takes, he says, look, take that ungod, uncleanly way of living out and let's replace it with clean living. You look at verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. <laughs> Being honest with all men. You see, you've got in, instructions here on how to live. Come over to cha in chapter 5. We always go to verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we always run that. See, in everything, not for everything, but in everything, no matter what the details of life come up, no matter the scenario, whether it's you won the Powerball, or whether you just got the diagnosis, you got two days to live. In everything, what am I to do? Give thanks. Why? Well, two days to live, that means absent from the body, present with the Lord, let's go home. Win the Powerball, look at what I can do now with this money in the work of the ministry, etc., etc. The pontoon boat, exactly. I'll give you my address, and, you, and, and I'll give you my full name, okay, for the title, all right? I'm having a good time with the pontoon, okay? I did see one, honestly, but it, and it did get vetoed, <laughs> so... But the thing is, is let your eye draw back up to verse 11. And think about this. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. You see, the attitude for those in the local assembly who are over you, the leadership. See that? Here's the will of God. Here's your attitude to have for them. See? And uh, verse uh, 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay? Comfort the feeble-minded. Boy, isn't that the case? Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 
rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In a couple, when we talk about rethinking our and how to pray, pray without ceasing. That means a never stop of prayer in a prayer life. That isn't praying over here. I win the Powerball, Lord, if you just whisper the winning numbers to me. Prayer, talking to the Father, talking to the Father about the details of life. You know that this, you know, how do I fix it? How do I work through this? And how does your word help me do that? What a way to live. Think about this. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesy. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Isn't that that's all the will of God for you in living. Now, you have the freedom and the liberty to do or to not do. But if you don't do, what's going to come? Condemnation, struggle, strife. Come over to 2 Corinthians 8. What a way, 2 Corinthians 8. And you think about this. You see, the will of God for your life it's to come along, first, it's to get saved. So when you got saved, when you passed from death to life, when you trusted that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and in that and that alone, that activity by Him is what justifies me, it's what saves me. It's what gives me eternal life. It's what rescues me from hell. You pass from death into life. He gives you his life. And now we are to do what? Come to the knowledge of that truth. Figure it out. A lot of people get through part one. Very few really get into part two. Now watch 2 Corinthians 8. Because what I want you to notice is, is the way that these guys, these folks were thinking. Okay? Chapter 8. Paul is talking about the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay? Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The word liberality talks about giving. We're talking about money. They're going to be giving to the Apostle Paul for the poor saints in Jerusalem, okay? They understand that the poor saints are there because God changed the program, and they're poor because they were believe, they believed the Word of God, they were believing in the program, God changed the program, they're not poor on their own dumb decisions, they're poor because God changed the program. And because He changed the program, we now reap the benefits spiritually, so we ought to go over there and help them out uh, carnally, financially. Now, by the way, you can't do this today. This is only here... For in Paul's day, all right? There are no poor saints in Jerusalem. Actually, they probably have more money than you do, okay? The thing is, is what I want, want you to see is their, their process of their thinking. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, that they were willing of themselves. These folks are in deep poverty. They don't care. They're still putting money in the offering box for these folks, okay? Now watch what they do praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They begged Paul. 
Paul looked at these folks and said, listen, you got to pay a light bill. you got to feed a family. you got to take care of yourselves. So no, I'm not going to take that. They said, all that's done, all that's paid for, all that, and you're going to take this. So you know what they did? They went from a bank account of $100 to zero, and the last 30 went to Paul going. They're not focused on what? That worldly stuff. Verse 5. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the preacher. To who? To the Lord. And unto us by the what? By the will of God. Look at their th- the will of God. Their thinking was the first do what? Let's take care of what God's doing. What's God doing? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He would see all men get saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Where is that happening? Local church. Where are we going to go? We're going to go there. That's why later in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 7, he says, Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? Because he first purposed to give to the Lord. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Giving comes from a grace motivation, not from me harping on it, saying we got to build a new building. So we got to raise, not me, I, I need that new pontoon boat. By the way, the one I was looking at was a 20, 2005 or something, need work. No, I want the 2023, don't need work. You know what the difference is? It's about 30K, by the way. Okay, It's not that. You know, it's not, preacher needs a new car. No. Well, in modern day, it's a helicopter and an airplane and all the other good stuff. It's not, no, where does, it comes from what? Understanding the word of God rightly divided and wanting to be a partaker in that work of the ministry. What I want you to see in verse 5 is where did they first go? They went to the Lord. They said, you know what, what's he doing? Verse 6, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Come over to Philippians chapter 2. Where does the will of God work? It's working in your thinking. It's working in you as you take in the word of God. Again, read three chapters a day. That's all you got to do. Get it in you. And it begins to work in you, and it begins to motivate you, and it begins to renew some things in your thinking or put into your thinking some things you've never had before or seen before. And the next thing you know, your vocabulary is changing, your attitudes are changing, your disposition is changing. Doesn't mean you're still going to say yes or no to this or that. It's just now you're going to have a viewpoint on it that is of an extremely different mindset. Look at Philippians 2 verse 13. I think people miss this verse. I think they, they, they don't even, I, I would imagine a ton of people don't even know it exists. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice that verse very carefully. Where is God working? Because the verse says, for it is God which worketh. Where is he working? In you or on you? The verse says in. That means the circumstances of life out there, 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to get over there in just a second, is what? Common to man. 
the room goes silent. You got to think about this. He works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The will of God works in you. You see, today under God's grace, come on over to 1 Corinthians 10. I said it. Might as well go look at it. I think it's number next anyway. You see, God, under God's grace, we are free to do the will of God. And we're fully equipped to do it, to accomplish it. Because it's working in us. The circumstances of life is where we go do the will of God, where we go do the work of the ministry, where we allow His life to live out through us in the details of life. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 is a verse that you ought to have typed up and stapled to the, or magnetized to your uh, refrigerator. I couldn't think of it. The thing with all the food in it. (laughs) Okay, why? Notice what it says. There, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. When things in life happen, what freedom there is to understand that it is not God testing me. Romans 5.1, I have peace with him. I'm in, therefore being justified. I have what? Peace with God. He ain't testing me. He's not trying my faith. He's not trying to teach me anything. Where does He teach me? From the Word. Where does He instruct me? From the Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, when I take away looking at the circumstances to try to figure something out, and I realize that it is common to man, that means everyone goes through this at some level and some sort in their life. We've all lost a loved one, whether it was four-legged or two-legged. Because I know the four-legged get loved ones too. We've laid the rest about 11 dogs. I got one more to go. I know what it is. We're talking about a four-legged animal. But what does it do? It tugs at you. You know, everyone's done that. Everyone in some sort, in some manner, has received bad news health-wise. Everyone has received good news health-wise. Everyone's received bad news financially, or good news, or no news in my case. (laughs) Banker called and said, you're at zero. I said, I am. He goes, yes, you are. I said, well, good. Zero is a good round number. (laughs) What? It's common to man. There's a joke in there. We'll let it be. But keep reading. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Why am I not tempted above that I'm able? Because everything that comes my way is common to everybody. So if I, if I go through something, I can reach over. Some, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, where he talks about we can comfort those who need comfort, you know. Why? Because I've been there, done that. I got a few verses. I got the scars. I got the t-shirt. I got the hat. I can help you out. By the way, the only way you know that is we do what? We fellowship together. We're around each other. There's people in this room that have gone through fights with financial stuff or cancer or whatever it is. And you know what happens? There's a bolster. There's a help in all of that. 
He's able, to, uh, but, is, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Now that verse would be wonderful if it ended there, but it doesn't end there. That ye may be able to bear it. Uh-oh. It's common. You can bear it. How do I bear it? How do I escape it? By bearing it. How, how in the world can I bury, bury, bear this great burden? My grace is sufficient for thee. When you're weak, I'm strong. The doctrinal fortitude that you and I have and who we are in Christ, and we can learn and we can put it in there, says, you know what? Not I, but Christ. It says, though I live in this flesh, this body of flesh, I can come and live as the Son of God lived and complete and total dependency upon the Word of God to me. I've got peace with Him. I know He's not out after to get me. And I can come along, and in that peaceful moment of the turbulent seas of life, sit there and say, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. And I need to access that part of my inner man. And I'll make it through. And I'll be okay. What's the worst case scenario in your life? But the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, Romans 8.18. When you get down in the dumps, folks, you need to remember your, your eights. Romans 8.18 is a good one to remember. Why? Because at your lowest moment, you're still the richest individual in the room. Because of who you are in Christ and what He's blessed you with. That's liberating. You don't, that's freedom. That comes along and says, you know what, I don't need the preacher to come down here and say, well, you know what, we didn't see your 10% this month. Well, we didn't see you in church this year, and it's June. Well, where have you been? We're taking roll everything. No, 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 no. That's just so they can run your life. God's grace says, hey, look at what I gave you, man. I set you free from all that. And all that you need to do is come over here and to take what I've got and put it into your life and then say thank you. A heart of thanksgiving. You see, that's wonderful. That's liberating. Hold on to 1 Corinthians 10. Go back with me to chapter 6. You see, we got some instructions in God's Word about the will of God. But what happens when things in life come up that aren't really covered by the will of God? Do I buy new tires or do I not? Well, you dummy, you better buy new ones because it's going to get hot and you're going to pop. And you know what will happen? You'll go down the road, you'll get a flat tire, and instantly out of your mouth is, God's testing me. No, you're the dummy that didn't go to discount tires and get new tires. God's testing me. No, he's not. It's common to man. Follow? Okay. Well, now the car won't start. Well, did you go to gas? Did you get gas? Well, no. Do I have to have gas? You know, when the girls started driving and the kids started driving, I told them about the blinker fluid, you know. Yeah, some of you caught that. Okay. Why? When you, you know, then all of a sudden it's, what does this little light mean, Dad? And it's the... Change the oil light, you know. How long has that been on, kid? Oh, for a couple months. 
How long has it been? Well, since last year. What? You know? Fortunately, it was just a couple months, so we were okay. But still, then you got to do it. That's just your own thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful unto me, but all and all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful. When the Word of God says do it, you better be doing it. When it says don't do it, you don't do it. You don't argue. The Word, that's the lawful. But then you have some areas that aren't in Scripture that can you can come up and say what? Expediency? My best interest? Does it put me under bondage? The power of any? If you come back to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians and you look at verse 23... He repeats it, except the end, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So now I've got an edification issue. Does it? How does this impact other people? So if I'm sitting over here and I go, should I buy new tires? Is it expedient? Is it in my long-term interest to buy new tires? Yes. Will it put me under the bondage of something? Well, might, because I might have to use a credit card to do it, because I wasn't pre-thinking and saving up the money. And so, okay, yes, I do. But how is this going to impact others? It's going to devastate my parents if I die in a car accident, so I think I'll do it. There's none of that's in the Word of God except the, the general guideline, the outline of how to think through this. You've got the liberty to think through this. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. You see, folks, the, to know the will of God and to understand it, one, it's been made known. What is he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. So let's go do that. How's he doing that? Seeing all men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So let's be about that. Let's be a part of that in my life where I'm at in time. How does that look here? Well, we've got a local assembly. It looks this way here. We do this. Boom. That's it. Not whether you wear white socks or black socks with the black suit. The Lord was moving me today to where it is my it is finished time because it's Easter. No, I wore it today because it's Easter and I like it. <laughs> Do I wear the black suit, the blue suit, the pink suit, the purple suit? Whatever moves you. And again, the Speaker of the House says no. <laughs> I was in the store and I got a, found a, all, a white suit. Do you guys remember the Mr. Good Humor Man and the all white ice cream guy? No. That's what I look like. My, you know what my wife said? Uh, no. No, 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 no. You know? <laughs> what? So that's, that was the will of God. <laughs> no, that was the will of Linda. <laughs> no. You see? Look at Philippians 1. You found it now. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in feelings and in touchy stuff and in moments of Christ. No, in what? In knowledge and in all judgment. So this... Love is not the feely-feely stuff. It's a mental attitude love. It's a thinking love that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Think about this. You're able to make a decision. You're able to look at things and find a thing of greater value. Let's do that. The greater value is A, not B. Or it's B and not A. Let's do that. Who made that decision? You get to. And when you do, you know what God's going to do to you? Absolutely nothing. 
because you're secure in him. You've got peace with him. He's going to sit back and watch an adult and his family make a decision and then suffer the consequences of that decision, whether they're good or bad, because that's how he operates. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2. You see Paul do this. Second Corinthians 2. Look at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 2, 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again unto you in heaviness. Who did Paul determine that with? Himself. You know what he said? He goes, me, myself, and I, we had a conversation, an intelligent one, by the way. And we decided, no, God, before the foundation of the world, preordained a roadmap. No. Paul says, I decided not to come to you and heaviness. Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Look at that. Paul says, you know what? When I got over here to Troas, a door's open, but I, just some other things were going on. I didn't even go to Troas. I went the other direction to Macedonia. I made the decision. First Thessalonians 3, on your, First Thessalonians 3, on your way to Titus. First Thessalonians 3, verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus our brother and minister of God, and off he goes. You know what they did? They got to Athens, they looked around, they said, you know what, it's better... For me to, to stay here and to go, they were looking at the situation. You go read that all in Acts there, Acts 17, when all that's happening, and they off they go. They made a decision. No preordained map, road map, nothing before God. No, and this is the Apostle Paul who had direct conversations with the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. What did he decide? He goes, I don't want to go down there to the cold things of Rome. I'm going to stay up here on the Isle of Greece and on the Grecian. I'm going to stay up here in the Bahamas. You guys can go winter in the snow and the cold. I'm going to stay up here where the old bones don't hurt so bad. You see... You can make a decision. 1 Corinthians 16, just quickly here, when Paul lays out how they are to collect up this offering, if you drop down to verse 12, 1 Corinthians 16, 12, Paul says, As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desire him to come unto you with the brethren. So what's Paul want Apollos to do? Go with them. Right, But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Notice that. What does Paul say? I want Apollos to come. Paulus looked at his calendar and said, Paul, it's bad timing for me. I can't make it, but I can make it next month. You know what Paul says? Okay, let's go. Next verse. And God reached down out of heaven and smacked him on the side of the back of the head. Not at all. What are you able to do? Make a decision. Now, Galatians 1. You see, folks, 
God's will is that all men get saved and come to the knowledge of this truth. And in that knowledge of this truth, you and I have freedom to make decisions in life based upon that truth. The truth of God's word, rightly divided. The truth of him that has completely given us all things in Christ. He's fully equipped us. And as we go out as ambassadors for Christ and do, then we are doing the will of God. Galatians 1 verse 4 who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. The will of God for you is that you be saved. That you just simply come to Calvary and trust him as your Savior, him alone. No merit of your own. That's what faith is. No merit of your own. You come. You do this in the quietness of your heart, by the way. You don't do it as a big show. You do it between you and, and God. And you just trust Him. Because when Christ died at Calvary, you know what He did? He gave His life for you. So that when you trust Him exclusively, He can then give His life to you to then go be lived out in your life. As you study, as you learn, as you grow. And we know that the word worked effectually in them that believe. You see, this Easter Sunday, the will of God was on display at Calvary. Paul comes in and says, here's what all that means, and here's what he's doing today, and let's get on with it. Learn, grow. Let's reset our thinking about the will of God. It's not a mystical thing. It's not something you can't know. You can know it. First, he would have you be what? Saved. Come to trust Him. Realize you're a sinner, for the wages of sin is death. And death is what you deserve. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. And God the Father says, you know what, I've already judged this, and I put it on my Son. And if you believe my Son, and He's the one that paid it, then His payment is now your payment. Therefore, His life is now your life. Boy, what a will. That's where we ought to be living. As we go day to day, as we do the things in life, we need to understand we have liberty. We have a freedom to make a decision and be okay. Now, there's good decisions and there's bad decisions. Buy the pontoon boat or don't buy the pontoon boat. Buy the boat. That's right. Okay? Folks, I hope today, of all days, you think about this. Make sure you're saved. Make sure your salvation is settled. Your justification. The rest of it is just jabber. But once you do, man, then you got a life you can go live and live it where you are and who you are. You don't have to change that. God's word, his grace will clean all that up. You don't need me to tell you not to do something. I'm going to show you a verse that's going to tell you not to do something. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Calvary. For without Calvary, none of this means anything. For you shed your life for us so that you can then give your life to us. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.